Welcome to episode 59 of the Search with Canada podcast, recorded on Friday the 1st of May. My name is Mark Williams-Cook. Today we're going to be talking about the Backlinko correlation study of 11.8 million search results. And to do that, we are joined by Dan Taylor, Lead Technical SEO Consultant and Account Director at Salt.Agency. Hello, Dan. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. So, uh, Dan, do you want to give everyone just a, I mean, I know, do you, do you want to give everyone a quick intro to um, sort of who you are, what you do, and a little bit of your background? Yeah, sure. So, um, as, as Mark kind of interests, I'm Dan. Um, I work as an AD and lead tech SEO consultant for Salt Agency, uh, based up in uh, Leeds in the UK. Um, I got into digital marketing about seven eight years ago fully previous to that i actually worked on uh fishing docks as a fishmonger and fish markets no way um, i did not know that about you <laughs> yeah so i learned how um i basically learned a hell of a lot about fish and then took absolutely no knowledge into the digital world after university um been working at salt now four years this month actually uh work with quite a range of clients mainly across the us um in sort of tech and sort of SaaS sectors but then also quite heavily in e-commerce and travel as well um also spoke at a few conferences like tech seo boost and brighton seo's main stage also won the inaugural uh tech seo boost research competition for a little sort of foray into this thing called edge seo and using cdns to do transformations um and also you might also see me online with things like sloth.cloud hreflangchecker.com um and various other pies that i've got my fingers in so i was actually going to say uh, to everyone so kind of edge seo technical seo and specifically edge seo is something you're always at the front of my mind for um so i mean i've learned quite a lot from you about uh, edge seo and you know very keen to tell me that cloudflow workers aren't service workers um and you mentioned sloth.cloud there um do you want to just briefly describe what that is for people that haven't heard of it yeah so essentially so edge seo is not really anything new it, we've been it's been something that's been around since sort of 2014 2015 that we've been able to do hard-coded on like lambda edge servers and things like that but essentially the advent of cloudflare workers meant that we could easily do transformations through the cdn um which overcome a lot of technical debt issues and other issues with actually getting uh technical seo implemented basically so sloth.cloud essentially was actually born from we built a generator in-house to quickly do code um and then my developer who kind of is the mastermind pioneer got really bored of me asking constantly for tweaks so he stuck the generator behind a nice ui and then i kind of went well can we just like roll this out and we just opened it up for everybody to make an account log in and generate edge worker codes really for, uh, for free i think that's how a lot of uh, good products are born 
Um, so when I was speaking to Stephen, uh, who's one of the co-founders of Content King, there was a similar story there, I think, of essentially <laughs> developers and SEOs getting fed up <laughs> with each other from uh, lots of very similar requests until the developers just started coding solutions to make the SEOs go away. <laughs> and they decided to wrap it up in a product. So uh, that's sloth.cloud. Uh, it's free. Uh, check it out. So Dan, uh, what we what I've got you here to talk about um, is something a lot of people online have been talking about, which is the Backlinko uh, correlation study. So for those that haven't seen it yet, on the 28th of April, Brian Dean from Backlinko uh, tweeted about a new study that they had done. And the tweet said, we analyzed 11.8 million Google search results. Here's what we learned about SEO. Important, so there's a list of things that they consider important. Domain rating, short URLs, page authority, comprehensive content, and backlinks. And then they've listed things, four things which are quote unquote not important, which were schema, site speed, word count, and title tags. Now this tweet, as I'm looking at it now, has 425 retweets and one and a half thousand likes. And I want to talk about it for, you know, a couple of reasons. So Batlinko, uh, you know, the, the website as it is, does rank for a lot. It does drive sort of significant traffic. So whether you kind of agree with what they're saying or not, they are quite influential when it comes to SEO content. Um, and this particular study I wanted to talk about, not just because it's new, but it has generated, uh, shall we say, quite a lot of discussion um, online. And particularly even uh, I noticed uh, Google commenting uh, on this article. So I'm just going to read you a little back and forth from Brian Dean and uh, John Mueller from Google. So cutting in here straight from Google, they're saying, this is John Mueller saying, while it's always fascinating to look at compilations like these, you should never assume these are or are similar to ranking factors in search. And Brian Dean came back to say, uh, kind of in agreement to this, Google's algorithm is infinitely complicated compared to an analysis like this. This is more to shed a bit of light on a, in, onto how some of Google's ranking factors might work. Uh, and John replied, so John from Google replied, you've built complicated algorithms at scale two, you know that it's never a single calculation with static multipliers. These things are complex and change over time. I find these reports fascinating. Who would have thought X? But I worry that some folks assume they're useful, um, which is quite the burn, really, coming from Google saying that he worries uh, folks assume it's useful. Um, and, you know, I won't read out who's kind of written these, but sort of I was looking through other comments, uh, you know, people saying things like, you know, useless correlations backed up by mostly proprietary metrics. What else could go wrong? Correlations, domain rating, load speed by Alexa, page authority, time on site. I feel like it's 2012 again. And among these, uh, Dan, obviously was uh, your comment, which was another dangerous article. Can't wait to be challenged on takeaways from this in the coming weeks. So I thought Dan really knows his stuff. I would love to get your um, opinion on this. So why why do you describe this? Why do you think this article is dangerous, Dan? Essentially, the word so the word dangerous I apply purely to the perception and how some 
SEOs, some internal marketers, some internal SEOs may perceive and utilize the information, but also dangerous in the sense that, let's be fair, Brian Dean has a phenomenal YouTube following. He has a phenomenal audience within the industry, within the digital ecosystem. So it also has a lot of influence in terms of visibility. So I know from working with lots of enterprising with large businesses, someone at a C-level comes across um, an article like this, goes through, looks at the Spark Notes, the Cliff Notes offers key takeaways, however you want to call it, and can instantly go, oh, schema's not important. Then they'll feed that back down to someone who essentially might be in product development or in a sort of development aspect which isn't related to either the in-house SEO or speaks to the SEO vendor. And that could potentially put a blocker on a schema ticket going through. And obviously schemas potentially not a direct ranking factor, but we well I mean my I'm just using the schema as an example of this. My personal opinion is that it's more of an assistance um notification. Like if you get a large book and someone's already gone through it and put those little colour tabs on the side of it, you can quickly find key pieces of information. Um and it's useful during the understanding process because and I don't know on with Cliff Notes you've got here you've mentioned Paul Haar's um SMX twenty sixteen talk where he talks about the phases of Google and the processes and that it is that sort of four step process. It's not necessarily the ranking phase, but we know that once it's crawled and it starts to pass and weight information, schema can be useful in that aspect. And we know that FAQ schema QA schema allow for rich results. We know that product schema is also relatively essential to parts of paid and the product PLA listings and things like that. So that could potentially block that ticket just because it's come from a perceived authority um, within the industry. Well, I was, was going to say, I mean, there's, there's some aspects of schema, right? Say like recipe schema that you need even to be eligible for those types of results, right? So without yeah. that, you're not... You know, if you've got a cooking site, if you don't mark up your recipes, you're not going to appear in those recipe-rich results, are you? Yeah, no, 100%. And it's, it's so taking it on that level, and this is, we've also got to be reasonable about things. So within the article, he does go out to say, and he uses, he does use the word correlate, and he does use the word correlation, but it's how things are framed and how things are packaged and to come out directly and just say important not important that can cause issues and we're also making the there's a lot of assumptions made in how people perceive um information and data and not just how we perceive that but how they perceive everything else um not wanting to go like massively philosophical anything but i remember one when i was doing a levels i for some reason did a philosophy a level but one of the key takeaways from that is um, what's called the Allegory of a Cave, which was um, basically a publication by Plato. And the long and short of that is essentially, it's a dark cave, everything's tied, they can't look at anything apart from a wall, but all they can see is the shadows of things cast onto the wall. So it's about being able to actually see things and then what we actually perceive through sensory. So with articles like this, depending on potentially even your inclination to dig deeper your inclination to read 
counterpoints, your inclination to investigate and use your own experience. That's why I frame this with the word dangerous in the sense that I know for a fact that I've worked with some people in the past who I could be who their sight could be slow. Like slower slower someone running through like cold treacle. Yet because this article's come out, they'll challenge and say, Why are we spending X amount on dev resource to improve sight speed when it's not important? Um that's not just that's not coming from a place of sort of well, essentially, yeah, it's come back almost comes from a place of ignorance in the sense that they don't understand what that actually means. We know that site speed is a small ranking factor, and we know that if a site is slow as heck, it will struggle in search results because nobody wants a slow experience, and Google don't want to give bad results in that sense. But framed in this way, that was I'd say that was something that particularly interested me actually in the the kind of response from the SEO community to this was a lot of people picked up on site speed. Um, and it sounds like from what you're saying, at least you'll you will hopefully, or maybe not, if you're not, maybe great, uh, be in agreement with at least my understanding, which was from what I've seen, the Google said about site speed is two main things, which is uh, firstly, they've quite clearly said as far as I can see, that it's treated on a factor of they're only really applying this when you've got, you know, like you said, uh, I think you said a slight that's slow as heck, um, mm-hmm. maybe versus, you know, like a normally operating site. So it doesn't seem that they're applying these site speeds, you know, if you want to say ranking factors or weightings for, you know, between sites that, you know, take one second and two seconds or two seconds and 3.5 seconds to load. It's really coming in when a site's taking three seconds versus one that's taking 15. And the other thing I think they've quite clearly stated, which you're getting to, is that site speed is an on the fence kind of factor. So if everything else is roughly equal, it's like the cherry on top because it's going to be a nicer experience for the user. Um, Were were you surprised at all at the reaction um, that that came from the SEO community? Because a lot of people are saying, hey, site speed's super important. And had I mean, and lastly to put on the end of that, I mean, not to say you know site speed isn't important, you know, as a general thing, it's critically important. But purely from an SEO perspective, you know, I don't even think SEO is the right way to you know attack site speed. That should be a conversation, you know, you're having about financials or with conversion teams, that kind of thing. I mean, what were your thoughts to the response we saw around site speed? I mean, I definitely feel that, I mean, as as well as size speed being a ranking factor, I definitely feel that improving the speed of a website can correlate with improvement generally of how the site performs. And that not necessarily sure. might be in that, as we say, the, the straight three second or four second marker, but surely by logic, if you're in, if you're improving the speed in which assets are delivered um you're loading the critical css you're improving ttis you're improving ttfb you're improving all those other factors you're actually also making it easier and less stressful for google to crawl your website meaning you can potentially crawl more with its finite scope of when it approaches your site so it's not so much about ranking it's also just improving the general health of it um and how that all builds out really into there. And things like that, we don't really monitor. We look at a website and we say, well, it takes 5.3 seconds to load. We, we, we did some stuff and that became 2.4. We might see an increase in conversion rate, might see an increase in other stuff, but it's not just that one factor that changed. 
as I say, by shedding the weight, you're also making it easier for Google to crawl. You're making it easier for users to load. And it, it, it's, a, it's a nice cycle. It, it is to say, for me, it's probably the framing thing to say it's not important. That also then comes down to what I think is a flaw in the actual study itself. And mm. that's that it's great that you've analyzed 11.8 million search results. To do that, I cannot comprehend the phenomenal amount of manpower. Because, I mean, we did, I did a Salesforce study earlier this year where I looked at just over 1,900 websites and the amount of times where I was sat there, like, praying for it to end um, just because of how long it took to actually process <laughs> that much data was painful. So to do that on that scale, that's a lot of computing power and that's a lot of manpower, so fair enough. But... For me, if you're taking 11.8 million search results, you might as well have gone into the supermarket and got one of every item off the shelf, opened it and put it all in a big pot and cooked it together and then asked if it's a nice meal. Because Okay, I think I see what you're, you're getting at here. Within <laughs> so this is a way you're suggesting you could have improved the study, maybe. Yeah, within, I mean, within that 11.8 million search results, there's going to be a lot of different intents. There's going to be a lot of different seasonality factors. There's going to be a lot of different industries. So when we come out and say things like, oh, so over 11.8 million results, domain rating is an important factor, for example. Well, over that 11.8 million, depending on what the queries are, depending on my, potentially, if how many of them were brand, how many of them were um, like high things. So, I mean, I one of the articles I wrote on my site outranks um search search engine land and SE roundtable. The content's longer, the domain rating is a lot lower, URL's a lot longer, page authority's lower, and it hasn't got anywhere near as many backlinks as that domain. So I've only got one out of the four things, yet it still ranks. It, it, it's it's for me to for to put that much data into a single bowl and call it that the data soup, it makes it implausible to draw any real conclusion from that if it was we looked at 11.8 million search results broken down by category broke so here's some from finance here's some from travel here are um i know some from sport for example or news publishing results then you can actually start looking and go well the intent's very different so what you can say is in travel people are either looking to book or they're wonderlusting so you can automatically kind of, I mean, that's a very top level generalization, mainly, but you can actually then start to break it down. Whereas if you're starting to compare a Bermuda travel landing page versus, um, I don't know, an analysis of whether or not con uh, CTR is a ranking factor versus how long to boil an egg, you're going to get very different results, but all three of those are potentially going to perform well within their own individual SERPs, within their own individual areas. So it kind of also then comes down to things like where we've had, where we've had studies in the past, which turn around and say things like direct traffic. Most websites that rank highly have a lot of high direct traffic, um, which I know a couple of tools have produced studies like that before. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're a major brand, chances are people are going to search for you exactly like exact match and people are going to go direct to you because if you go to a website and you like it you go back to that website you don't necessarily have to google it because you remember your chrome browser remembers it so it's just 
things like that where the study initially for me is slightly flawed and then frames the findings dangerously. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there of one of the core ways that SEOs, marketers trip themselves up, especially when they talk about ranking factors, which is it does often get overlooked that a lot of these can be very specific to different industries, verticals, niches. So like you mentioned there, for instance, one you hear that I've heard quite regularly is, you know, Google needs fresh content, for instance. And if you look at two extremes, like say you used a, like say a newspaper site as an example, you know, of course, the uh, chronological order in which they're posted is, you know, probably one of the most important ranking factors because it's news, right? It's got to be new. But if you compare that to maybe a site that, um, you know, archives scientific papers, you know, the, the actual date which they're published is, is, you know, isn't so important at all. Because if you're certain, if you're searching for a specific paper, you're searching for that paper. So whenever it was published is just when it was published. So those those two things, you know, that how new the content is you know, massively impacts the ranking in two different ways. Um, so I think it's a really interesting point. Maybe people should take away just with their general SEO as well as when they're they're looking at um, results of correlation studies like these. Um, I agree with you as well. So I think my initial reaction was, you know, I saw this, I saw the tweet go out with these bullet points and it kind of did, you know, raise an eyebrow of like, oh no, you know, when you just see things like, you know, title tag, site speed, not important. And I think I had the same fears as you. And having uh, read through the, re the report, um, I think it does do a good job of highlighting where, you know, it is quite clearly saying, you know, this is a correlation study. Um, and it does give some quite good uh, descriptions of um, kind of the data they've got. One thing I do want to talk about with you is, so the first kind of result they get back on this study is our data shows that a site's overall link authority as measured by Ahrefs domain rating strongly correlates with higher rankings. So for those that don't know, um, the uh, domain rating is a proprietary metric made by Ahrefs and this is their definition of it. Uh, domain rating looks at the quality and quantity of external backlinks to a website. Here's how we calculate this metric in simple terms. One, look at how many unique domains link to the target website. Two, look at the quote unquote authority of these linking domains. Three, take into account how many unique domains each of those sites links to. Four, apply some math and coding magic to calculate raw DR scores. Uh, five, plot these scores on a 100 point scale. So what what what's your opinion on using proprietary metrics like Ahrefs uh, domain rating in studies like these? I think given that we, it, being honest, whenever we do comparisons to competitors, whenever we do comparisons to anything else, proprietary metrics are really the only thing we have to go off because we can't, we, we don't have access to competitors' Google Analytics. We don't have access to their search consoles. We can't monitor it. So what, for me, with proprietary metrics is too important to say is very indicative. And it's also to understand and respect the data accuracy and the limitations of those third-party tools. Um, for example, so this is a, an example I had a couple of years ago with SEMrush. Um, working with someone happy, 
rankings going up, ranking first, everything else, looks in Samrush, and he's saying, oh, well, how come your rankings are different for rankings I'm getting in Samrush? So it wasn't a rank tracking tool. It was Samrush's data warehouse, where essentially you go in and you see the list of keywords, positions, etc. But then what I did notice is there's a refresh date on those keywords as well. And this may, I mean, it, it was quite niche. It was a UK niche. And it was a low search, I mean, it was relatively low search volume. We were ranking first rate. Sam Rush hadn't refreshed it in four months and still was reporting fifth. So I'm looking at that and going, well, that data point instantly is out by four months. And yeah, I appreciate when you've got a database of 17 billion keywords, it's not going to be real time. It's it's going to be nigh impossible for any of these tools to remain real time. And we've all seen it in the past where things update retrospectively. Um, I've definitely seen it with Sam Rush's trend graphs where randomly the numbers change the previous months, but that's just because it's actually updated things um, over time. And similarly with things like Ahrefs, which is a good tool, they're useful as research tools. I mean, I I never take for verbatim, like, oh, well, they've got... I mean, for example, I've just put in your agency site versus my site, and based on this um, study, I've got more unique referring domains than you. Do I rank for anything anywhere near as much as what you guys do? No. But it's just another metric to take as sort of... to go into the mix of research, but... You know, I'd never, in my opinion, think we should be looked at, similar with like other tools like SimilarWeb, uh, Systrix, and go, right, well, this is definitely what's happening, and this is definitely how we plan and do the strategy around things. It's more a case of, well, here's the trend we're seeing. It's typically the trends are accurate um, in the sense of going up or down, and you can also perform some gap analysis of it, especially with things like Batlinks, but yeah, for me, we're not a, we're not a verbatim tool, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, because everyone's seen it. We have agencies who basically just rely on these tools, rely on the auditing process these tools provide, and rely on that as basically the service they provide. And that, again, that kind of falls short, in my opinion, of what actually SEO and being a consultant is. Yeah, no, I, I, compl I completely agree with you. I've seen both sides of this argument before where um, some people have, have um kind of taking the position that you shouldn't use proprietary metrics because obviously they're they're not what google or bing or whoever it is using um and like you said i've seen the complete other end where just everything is blindly based on them and yeah i think the most useful route is this middle route of um i think they are you know very helpful tools especially in terms of you know time saving because they are looking at things um that I think for me, the sweet spot is where you have strong correlations, but it also makes sense in terms of it goes, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, there's things in this report that, that don't surprise us. Things like, you know, um, page uh, kind of independent ranking factors. Like if it has lots of domains linking to it, that's correlated to higher ranking. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised by that. No. Um, you know, and there are tools that can help us try and measure the impact of that. And all of these things go hand in hand for, you know, these tools are looking at, you know, how many links does the site that links to us have, you know, which is you know, going to be loosely based on uh, page rank and they're looking at the topics of the site. So 
when when you get these um, proprietary metrics that kind of line up with the logic, I think they are useful uh, time savers. One one data point that did interest me actually was uh, the the site speed there. And did, and have you ever used Alexa for site speed before? Did you know that was a thing? Um, I, I, I I vaguely remember it being a thing four years ago because I did have a client once who was like who was adamant one of the metrics of success was being ranked as a top 10,000 Alexa site, um, to, <laughs> to which I was confused as heck. But, yeah, but, I mean, load speed by Alexa, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I, for me, there's two things to that. One, I don't particularly understand why Alexa was used, um, especially when, if you've, I mean, if you've got a list, I mean, unless they did it by SERP, if you've got a list of domains which they will have if they've looked at domain ratings so they've got that data point then you can run lighthouse from a command line and you can i mean okay it'll take a while but i mean when that when i did my salesforce study i just i put a macbook in the corner and just left it on for five days just churning over i did well i did the site speed thing with lighthouse three times so i got more results but so I could basically average them out where I'm just go, oh, it says it's this, let's go with that. But yeah, that confuses me. But then I also think because they also use time on site, potentially, well, but no, well, they did use time on site as one of their metrics in this, that potentially came from Alexa as well. And we kind of know the limitations of the Alexa plugin. And for me, Alexa falls into the same category as sort of a similar web data points. It's, it's, it's not holistic enough to be representative of a large sample size, certainly not a sample size that large. Hmm. So was there anything um, in the in that report that you actually thought was uh, kind of helpful or correct or um, things that have done particularly well? Um, I mean, being on, the actual methodology behind it isn't massively explained. Um, I mean, they, they did a summary of the key findings and they kind of explained where we got it from. And I appreciate I've just leveled a criticism without looking back at the studies I've done. Potentially, I haven't done either. But when you look at something like AHS domain racing, you have a look at the graph, you can see it's all nice there. It's, it's, it's For me, once you kind of get that level of data and don't distinguish it enough, it kind of becomes almost nonsensical in the sense that you're you're looking at so many different like we said previously we're looking at so many different intents so many different page types so many different things, but there's no if, if it explained that here's your 1.8 million queries this is the breakdown of sort of sectors and this is also a breakdown of results sort of by sector um that can work out pretty well but i mean to like to say for example the average url on google's first page is 66 characters long it's like for me, someone can read that in house who potentially hasn't got the same breadth of experience as a lot of other people may have, and then I'm spending then automatically I'm spending time or potentially doing unnecessary redirects on URLs that have been seventy five to eighty characters long just to get them down below sixty six or two sixty six. It's kinda of like that magic number when we used to think that five hundred words of content would be panda safe and things like that it, it, it's, it's 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 numbers like that which don't overly work um 
especially in studies like this, in my opinion. And then, in general, the average time on site for a Google first page result is 2.5 minutes. Well, in, in my experience, and just, I mean, from doing this, I mean, we've done some good content pieces with people in the past, and they've had nice long-form sort of content hub centers. They stuck a video on that page. The video lasted about two minutes in length. Guess what? If you put a summary video at the top of the page, people are going to realize there's about 1,500 words on it or watch for two-minute summary video. People watch for two-minute summary video. Analytics, time on site went down to below two minutes. Did it make a, the blindest bit of difference? No. Because end of the day, the content's for content. Very similarly, and this for me also then produces horrible churn content. And I'm noticing it a lot of the moment on things like Google Discover, where it will say something like, oh, it'll, there'll be like an article with one piece of information in it. And you'll go to the news website and they'll write two paragraphs explaining what it is they're about to tell you and why. Then there'll be an advert. And then there'll be another paragraph basically rewriting what one of the other paragraphs was. And before you know it, you've got about 400 words of content for what could have been a sentence. And, yep, you do that, A, because they want to drag out and you see more adverts. But also, I do wonder how much of that conversation is also someone somewhere saying we need this number of words or we need this length to be X, Y, Z within actual search results. Well, that was one thing that made me happy, at least in the correlation report, which was they said that there wasn't any particular correlation with the um, with the word count. <laughs> so hopefully, at least if we can focus on that, we can just bury that one. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, yeah, I mean, hopefully the panda thing has been there. I mean, well, well, not the panda necessarily, but the actual the, the notion of a panda safe number of texts is long gone. Well, then what does make an issue is is how people interpret the word comprehensive um, because comprehensive uh, and comprehension are very it, it can be interpreted as length um, which again kind of just feeds back into that cycle yeah, I think that's a really good point actually about how um, how people are actually understanding the yeah, the words that people use, yeah, like comprehensive. That's an interesting point. Um, one, one kind of uh, tweet I saw from Rand Fishkin um, kind of summarised, uh, I think, what was going on here. So we obviously had all these different points of some people quite heavily criticising the report, other people calling it you know, a sales piece, other people saying that it's useful to have this data out there. Um, and he, he said, uh, it seems like a framing problem, right? Frame A, these factors are what Google uses to rank. Or frame B, higher ranking sites tend to differentiate themselves based on these factors. So he's saying frame A is wrong, even if the data is great. Frame B can be useful for a lot of people. I mean, is that something you'd, you'd broadly agree with in terms of this report? In, being honest, in terms of any kind of report, I'd probably, unless, I mean, with a generalised report like this, where it's, a big cacophony of data with no breakdown of industries, intents, things like that. I'd say I'd argue that both frame A, both frame, oh, sorry, both frame A and B, as presented by Rand Bear, aren't useful for anyone because if you say frame A, these are the factors that Google uses to rank, yeah, that's just plain wrong. That's just 
outrageously incorrect. But then by saying high-ranking high sites tend to differentiate themselves based on these factors, that's potentially also wrong, because whilst the data correlated with that potentially crosses 11.8 million, if you break that down by industry, you break that down by other sectors. I mean, we know as SEOs, for example, for 10 years, not, well, for 10 years ago, for last or 10 well, words, words are hard. For, 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 for quite a large period over the last sort of 10, 15 years, the online gambling and betting industry, for example, were just mad for links. All they wanted and cared about really was just driving as many bat links as humanly possible. Um, the content side of things didn't really lay into it. But then what this doesn't take into account is the fact that a lot of really high competition keywords, especially commercial keywords, have really large websites ranking for them so if you're a large brand you'll do this thing outside of seo called marketing and if you do marketing such as sponsorships television advertising people know about you and people find you and it's exactly the same reason if you if, if someone's if someone's searching for uh soda and fizzy pop i may see your search results page without coca-cola Something's wrong because that's a phenomenally massively global brand, but that website might be slow as heck. It might be built on, it might be incomplete angular and not renderable, but people expect to see it still because that's a positive search result. And that's kind of why a positive search result isn't just defined by the metrics, it's defined by what goes into it as well. And when you have a study this large, without that split and that differentiation, there's going to be a massive element of that going into it as well um, and how it brand works. So, I mean, a classic example of this is Spam, the canned food. Um, they originally started off in um, Austin, not Texas, but somewhere up north, I think like Austin, Wisconsin or something like that. And they fought against, obviously, a lot of stigma and stuff, but then... They only really kind of became popular and acknowledged the fact that people disliked it. And when it was used as a food source for the US military, they got hate mail from people within them actively serving in the military saying, please stop producing this and let us eat something else. And it became a joke. They only really got to kind of popularity and kind of got that sort of canned food acknowledgement when they uh, prosecuted the Muppet Show for taking were basically doing a skit about them and like making fun of them that level of branding can change things and that also lets you live all that also lends itself to changes in the real world so uh the 2016 din cyber attack for example that changed a lot of industries and a lot of search results on its head completely because previously people searching for things like ddos mitigation cdns and cybersecurity were us there were people like us, they were infosec people, they were sysadmins, they were technical people, they weren't the average people on the street. But when you have a massive cyber attack that takes down Twitter, Amazon, Netflix, and the White House actually issues a statement about it because of how much of a, a public issue it's become, Google reframes all the search rules around that intent. So even to this day, that, those kind of search rules are now dominated by 
almost layperson results with news and differentiations and not the commercial side. So that impacts things as well quite heavily. And John Mueller in his, as he described it earlier, was like burn back to it, did sum it up with, with these things are complex and change over time. They're fascinating. It's a great snapshot. But I also then tend to think how, when, when this data was taken as a snapshot and when it was analysed, was that pre the current situation going on in the world right now? Because I'd beg to differ that a lot of these search behaviours, a lot of this might have changed. And also, when you look at this without intent and without actual seasonality and other things playing a factor, because we do know that seasonality can also play a, a, a turn in how search results appear, you kind of then actually then ask, well, are these first page results that are being pulled up actually valid? Are they useful? Or do they actually represent what the real world and what real users search for? Dan, I normally do kind of a key summary points at the end of these podcasts and I think you've just done a brilliant job of summarizing kind of John Mueller's original comments on complexity right the way through to Rand's summary and why it's incorrect in context to everything we've talked about and I don't think I could phrase it any better than you have. Uh, Thank you so much for giving me your time coming on and talking to us. I think a lot of people are going to find uh, your thoughts on this study really helpful in terms of how they frame it, how they talk to people about it, and hopefully what actions come out at the end of it. So thank you so much uh, for that. I really appreciate it. Nice. Um, thank you for having I've me. learned something too. Um, I mean, I you know, we got onto spam suing the Muppets, which is just completely new territory for me. So uh, I've learned a lot as well, Dan. Thank you so much. Um, show notes for everyone, transcription of this episode, uh, links to stuff we've talked about will be online at search.withcanda.co.uk. Um, this episode, Dan's going out on Monday, May the 4th, Star Wars Day. Are you a Star Wars fan? I am, and that has actually probably made me smile more than it should have, but I've got the Star Wars Day episode. Um, Top man, excellent (laughs) idea. So we'll be back. um, So enjoy Star Wars Day for everyone listening to this, and we'll be back in one week's time on May the 11th. Hope to catch you then.